0: Hello and welcome to the Infosys Applied AI podcast. In this show, we host our clients, partners, and Infosys Applied AI professionals who are doing some remarkable work in this exciting space of AI and cognitive automation. We explore what does it take to build successful scaled AI journeys and how the industry is evolving to make this a reality. Welcome on board. In the previous episode, we talked a bit about ML Ops, which was a rather new concept in the industry. And today, rather, uh, we are going to talk about something which is well-established. So we are going to talk about process automation. But while it is well-established, it still needs a lot of things to be in place for for the initiative to go right. And that's exactly why it's it's very relevant, uh, even today, to sort of have the right kind of experience and exposure to to key factors um, for for something like this to to reap the right results. So to to discuss this specifically, uh, I am having with me today Mr. Steve Williams from uh, Bupa Global. And uh, Steve, uh, in fact, I'll let Steve introduce himself, but we are here to talk about the automation journey at Bupa. So, Steve, uh, over to you. Uh, First of all, thank you for joining and and over to you for a quick introduction.
1: Thanks, Abraham. Um, Yeah, hello, everyone. And I'm Steve Williams. I look after IT strategy and architecture for Bupa Global, which is a part of Bupa. Bupa is a 12 billion pound business employing about 85,000 people around the globe. And it's split broadly into three geographic, what we call market units, um, with Bupa Global sitting within the market unit that is based out of the UK. And the UK market unit includes the UK businesses of medical insurance, clinics, dentists, aged care, and the internationally renowned Cromwell Hospital, as well as our Indian insurance business called Neva Bupa. Bupa Global, uh, our main business, is selling international uh, private medical insurance. Which provides top-class healthcare across uh, across the globe.
0: Great, thank you, thank you for that wide introduction, uh, Steve. And and clearly, I mean, there are uh, there are so many when we when we say insurance. Uh, given that I don't come from that domain myself, uh, it's fascinating to know that there are so many angles and aspects to it. So great to know that. Um, yeah. Now, specifically talking about uh, automation, I think. We have we know for a fact that Bupa has been has been sort of uh, a pioneer at such an initiative, and uh, we know that you've been running this for a while. I would like to like to sort of go to the very beginning of this journey, and uh, if you could let us know how it started, what were the what were the initial teams involved, and you know how it all began at Bupa.
1: Sure. Yeah. No. Happy to. Part of my role is very much about driving innovation. Robotics has always been something that has had been talked about for a little while. Mm-hmm. And within the market unit, there had been robotics being run for probably about 18 months when I started to talk with my colleagues in the market unit. And so we were quite lucky because uh, the UK had set up this, what they call an RPA franchise, a robotic process automation franchise. And we were able to use their infrastructure mm-hmm. um, to get going. So there was a lot of you know the stuff that you would normally have to worry about in terms of getting software installed and all the rest of it that we didn't need to worry about we could just kind of get on get on with it so we worked with a sort of third party to take a particular process and ran a proof of concept on it it worked pretty well and it was successful and i think it so it basically proved the business case for us and we were therefore able to to go on 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 with it from from there i guess the other bit that's probably worth mentioning within that RPA franchise model is that there's a um, consistent governance model that ensures that you know the, the process that you want to automate is a, it's appropriate to do so it's got the right uh, sort of information security and other compliance issues um, covered off and just a nice consistent way of being able to deliver uh, that sort of change um, in, into the business. We've now got six processes in production. A couple more are close close to coming into production, and we've got a reasonable pipeline beyond that. I won't go in into detail about the processes, but they, it's interesting for me how they sort of break down into two or three different categories. The first category is probably the one that most people would think of. I've got this kind of fairly mundane, almost boring process that no one really wants to do because there's nothing very interesting about it. It's just, I've got to put some data from this system to that system or whatever it might be. And I think that's what most people would see as a classic RPA kind of process. So we have some of those. Sure. But we have two others that are sort of popped up. One is, um, I would call it a sort of um, like a helper process in that it's not one that runs very often. So this is in our assistance business. So. Um, we have a business uh, part of our um, uh, offering is evacuation and repatriation services. Where if our members are in trouble um, or you know uh, or they've got something seriously wrong with them, we will get them first to the most important place uh, for treatment, and then uh, and then get them home again. That service is carried out with a sister company of ours called GeoBlue in the US, and we are in the process of integrating systems but at the moment we haven't got the full integration in place and so what we're doing is we're using the robot to effectively transfer quite a lot of data from our system to their system when it's needed effectively by that i mean their system's a salesforce system they've written a uh, just a very simple portal page i say simple is a lot of data lots of fields but the robot just picks up that data and and puts it in there of course the nature of the business means that the call to for help can come at any time day or night and so the robot is there running 24 7. i would just say that it's not critical to the system in that if the robot doesn't run then there's obviously a manual process that kicks in but it's it's a very useful part of that um, process and i think that you know this is where rpa can be can be useful the filling those gaps about integrations between systems that aren't really there and allowing uh, allowing that work to happen, and maybe look further on down, you can uh, you can put that integration into place. And the third the third example is we're going through a very big uh, migration process at the moment. We have two IPMI systems that that, that manage our uh, our members and our claims, and we're we're closing all of those down. And so we're migrating the data from one system to the other. There is an automatic automated load process which happens every month when the the members renew but it doesn't cover every case. There are some unusual cases. And what we've done there again, rather than write a load of code to handle those unusual cases, which we'll obviously throw away in a year's time. Mm-hmm. But we've, we've basically taken a robot uh, to, to make that process for us. So much quicker to get the robot to learn what to do. And then when we finish, we can just close it down and, and there we go. So yeah, it's been um, it's been a very interesting journey and, and quite it's quite interesting when you ask that question, it takes me right back to the beginning um, and it was uh, you know baby steps at that stage.
0: Indeed, indeed, and and you know what's interesting for me to listen to this is uh, the variety of use cases that you mentioned. Because typically in the industry, you will find automation being classically applied to, like you said, the mundane tasks, and it usually starts with you know finance and accounting or or some of these standard areas. But uh, the fact that you've been able to identify some of these very uh, specific uh, scenarios and and sort of domain specific scenarios. Uh, that's that's great, and and I'll come to a specific question around that a little later. Um, if I were to know a little more on, you know, I'm sure this has this has not been an all smooth journey, so there, there would have been a few hiccups. Would you like to share some specifics on those points uh, with with some of our listeners for their experiences?
1: Sure, I, I guess the the sort of first challenge in many ways is is to make sure that you know we don't get over overrun by the hype. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of my business colleagues will, you know, they'll have a chat with, with somebody who's uh, a robot of the future and all the rest of it. And they'll sort of come in and think that, and they'll talk to the vendors and, and obviously the vendors will tell them a good story. And, and they'll often think they've got a silver bullet. And that's obviously not the case. You know, sometimes they feel that they won't have to worry about things anymore. It will just happen. But of course, they still need to be responsible and they still need, they do need to help us, particularly during the development and test phase because um, some, particularly some of the process, can be very difficult to get good test data for. And we actually need the business people to generate that data. So I think we have had some challenges where it's not been realized, you know, and I think some of that is, you know, collectively our, our responsibility because we were relatively new to it. But what we have learned is that, you know, we, yeah, we do have to work together and make sure that um, we have the components that we need in order to make the, um, the thing successful. Another thing that we kind of learned was. That, I mean there's a couple of ways of, of kind of running the robots one is to effectively say to the business team there's your robot you run it or another way is a sort of more centralized um, model where if you for want of a better phrase you've kind of got expert robot uh, users who can who can do that sure. and and we've've we've, we've transitioned from the former to the latter. I think we started with the view that because the business guys know the process when they hit a problem they can deal with it but actually, what really happens is you train the robot to do the process. So the robot doesn't need any help with the process. It, it knows what to do. And sure. it knows if it, if it hits the situation, it doesn't know it'll raise an exception and it will get passed over to the business team. Um, what was happening is that the, ro- the, the problems that you do hit are more kind of infrastructure type problems. You know, there's been a, um, I don't know, a, a server's, there's been some patching on a server and when it when it comes up it doesn't start properly or you know whatever it might be sure. and so i think we have moved to that model of a more centralized control room if you want to use that phrase yeah. um and we found that that works um that works much better so that was a, that was a good learning we did have a i would say the other thing is probably more to do with um how again how we first started we kind of we probably didn't have as an experienced team as we as we should have done uh, and so i think like like anything um, it's it's always good to have good experts involved we've got that now and the difference is 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 huge you know from my perspective personally i have nothing to worry about the guys are great and they get on with it whereas previously maybe i was getting a little bit too involved in in what was happening and i guess two other things that are worth just bearing in mind is changes in the systems that the robots working with mm-hmm. can often trip you up sure. you know it might be as simple as the movement of a field on a screen Absolutely. or due to an upgrade yeah and then the robot suddenly doesn't know what to do. What's been interesting there is, we again, we were sort of a bit worried about, oh, okay, every time there's an upgrade, we need to do a load of testing with the new version of the software. But we, we, fa- we find that in reality, probably 90, 95% of the time, there's no impact. And so all of that testing is a bit of a waste of time. So <laughs> the approach we're actually taking now is not to do the testing, and in effect, oh, to let it fall over in production but to be ready and fix it. Because again, we find that usually it's a fairly minor change, maybe a, a position or a, a, a slightly different order of a, a screen or something, uh, and they can be fixed within a day or two. So I think overall, that's a more effective way uh, to do that. And obviously, I think that's that's the sort of thing that will depend a little bit on, on your individual situation. Sure. You know, Our systems are relatively old, so they don't change very much from, from that point of view. If you've got newer systems that change more often, you might you might want to take a different approach. Um, and the last thing I was just going to touch on, not really a problem, but um, we were originally kind of running the robots manually, so somebody would have to log on and, and kick the robot off. But we've now um, we've now used an automated log on feature that comes with the um, with the RPA software, and we're able to effectively control when the robots run and and what they do if they fall over and all of that all of that kind of stuff. And, and that obviously means that we can be much more um, effective with the robots because now we can really look at 24-7 running. And, and that's kind of where we're going to probably you know be looking in, in the future to maximize the, the the value that we get out of the licenses.
0: Oh, thank you. I think uh, clearly it shows that you've had certain course corrections as, as you've been on this journey. So the fact that you started off on a particular model, uh, very interesting that you mentioned the support model as well, because I've seen that that has been a sort of topic of debate or I've seen both the models having their merits demerits in terms of whether to have the support with the operations team or whether to have it centrally with the IT or say alongside IT and the fact that you have been able to uh, naturally course correct learn through experience um, that shows that that's, that's exactly how that journey is going to be for say customers who are trying to adopt it newly that it's not going to be um, you know, a silver bullet, as you said, on day one. But there will have to be these course corrections. So, very, mm-hmm. very happy to see that. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll go to the next question, which is, which kind of links to your previous answer. So, you've been on on this journey now. You've you've done a number of automations There are a few in the pipeline. I would say this is this is a fairly matured initiative at this point. And if you were to, if I were to say, you know, define the levels of maturity, it's typically defined by the kind of adoption that you see and the kind of acceptance that you see from business. Now, you have, you already have a few use cases in the pipeline and some of the ones that you mentioned earlier were very unique. So where did these ideas come from? Uh, were these these came from the automation team or these were given by business? How did this happen and how do you see that happening in the future uh, over the next, say, year or so?
1: Yeah, uh, it's, they're really good questions. I mean, um, obviously, when it started... We really had to go from our experience, and you know, I've I've been in I've been in the Bupa, in Bupa for 15 years, so I I know the business quite well. I know some of the challenges they've got, um, and so we were able to identify probably a couple of different processes that we thought were good candidates. And as I say, we managed to we got one up and running quite well. And then, of course, it, it, it's really communication. I mean, it's really about saying to people we have this tool. It's neither. The magic bullet <laughs> nor is it you know um the other extreme taking forever to build it's 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 quite quick to build and what we've really done is identified the sort of characteristics of a of a process that make it a good candidate for rpa and you know and those are the sorts of things of you know high, highly repetitive low number of exceptions obviously um if it, if it impacts OPEX, that's always a good one because people are always <laughs> interested in saving a bit of a bit of money and and also, you know, is it similar to other processes? Because you build a library of elements to your processes. So once you've written, say, a log on process to a particular system, if you want to use, if you want to log on to that system with a different process, that piece of code's already there. You haven't got to you haven't got to to, to rewrite it. And then I think, you know, you, you, I like to think you get to a point where your success starts to to sell itself. You know, we presented a couple of times at our leadership calls and that's really generated a lot of interest you know and now we kind of getting people uh, popping up all the time saying oh i've got this potential opportunity for a roboticized process and then we we kind of talk them through we'll typically get someone just to, just to give us a very quick walk through the process and now i think we're getting to the stage particularly because we involve the the actual rpa developers in those meetings
0: sure
1: you know we very quickly can say that's a good candidate or it isn't because the the guys will just ask you know probably two or three questions about what happens in that scenario what happens when this goes wrong and you know all of a sudden you're saying oh actually there are too many variations in this to really make it a good candidate or actually this is a good candidate because the the variations are right And, and sometimes what we do is we might shrink the um scope of the process or even broaden it depending on depending on that conversation so i think that you know, it's that open sort of conversation with the business about what what's possible and what's sensible um, that that really helps us to identify what what the processes are that we that we should we should do.
0: You know, I think uh, clearly. I mean, it's again reflective of the fact that you're sort of building this as as an initiative, which is internally accepted it's it's sort of openly discussed about and it's evolving on its by itself so it's not something where there's a set framework uh, of course there is a framework but then it will evolve and it'll it'll continue to iterate itself so that's that's good to know now again linking to your previous answer right so you mentioned of <laughs> certain standards that you follow to identify candidates and these these are clearly standards for automation pure play automation i have seen in enterprises, the same automation initiative starting to evolve into an AI initiative as well, or say uh, elements of cognitive automation and AI coming into, into the same mix. Do you see that happening at, at Bupa And where exactly are you on that journey?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't think you can be in IT these days without talking about AI. <laughs> um, so yes, I mean, yeah, in in simple terms, yes, we're looking at AI. Um, sure. I think that. I mean, in my mind, I think there's a very clear distinction between RPA and AI. I see them as complementary technologies rather than, you know, one overtaking the other. And I think one of the things that is important is the, is the kind of compliance side of things. Mm-hmm. So obviously in our business, one of the things that we need to do is to work out whether we're covered. We cover someone for a particular treatment. And that's, you know, that could obviously be a very big decision for people at a personal level. And if we used AI to to make those decisions as as is you know the sort of thing that we're thinking about we need to be able we need to be crystal clear uh, in ex- being able to explain how we came to that decision um, otherwise you know you're going to be in a very difficult position and whereas rpa of course is is really mimicking the process that a human does so i think it's really important to try and keep those two things separate um, otherwise what will happen is you'll you'll slow down both sides of, of, of that equation. I think AI is important. I'll just to give you a couple of examples then. So in uh, Bupa Global, um, we've got a machine learning process going on, looking at our claims data. I guess we probably pay getting towards three quarters of a million claims a year from all over the world. And you know, this what we're doing with this particular machine learning piece is, is looking for fraudulent behavior from our medical providers which unfortunately we do see, it is, it is spotting some things which are allowing us to have some conversations and, and hopefully correct correct that, that behaviour. But I would say that I do think it's a case of making sure you use the right, or, or, or rather you go after the right problem. Sure. So uh, one um, area that we've looked at quite extensively is kind of automated extraction of data from electronic documents. Mm-hmm. So the obvious thing for us is we get we get an invoice from a medical provider listing out the treatment that a member's had. We need to get that into our system so that we can work out, you know, what was what we should pay of that of that invoice. Um the problem that we've got is we play claims in 220 countries around the world. So they, those claims come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, format, even within the same country, they're they're different straight. And what we found is that um whilst you can get an AI to look at a I mean, effectively, what you're saying to an AI is: here is an invoice in a format you've never seen before. True. Can you pull the data out? And and frankly, it they don't so they, they make a they make an attempt. Sure. You might argue they're yeah. reasonable, but it doesn't get us to a point where it, it's a it's a shift for the uh, for the business in terms of improving the, the process. True. Because if we don't get to a high enough confidence level someone's still got to look at that piece of paper. And, and so that, that's a good example, I think, of where we need to be careful not going chasing after the silver bullet. Now, in, in the UK, for example, it's a bit different because there's much more consistency in the in the layout of the documents they get. And I think they've had a look and there's some real opportunities for them there. So, yes, I mean, in answer to your question, AI very much on our agenda, but it, but it is about making sure, again, that we don't, you know don't swallow all the hype and just make sure that we know what the problem is we're going after. And, and in particular, what is, what is this, where do we need to get to in the solution? You know, it doesn't need to be perfect, but it, it does need to, you know, obviously provide enough value to make it worthwhile.
0: Indeed. I think, I think you really, I mean, some, some great points and just summarise it this way that there is technology of course, and the world is talking about AI. Um, there are certain limitations to that technology, again, right now, as, as we are. And, and the, those limitations are going to, I mean, they may get overcome, but they are there and we acknowledge those. And that's where it's very important to sort of work with those limitations and identify the right use cases. I think that's 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 one of the key takeaways for me. The other thing you very interestingly mentioned of responsible AI and the explainability angle. So, in fact, I did my previous episode on the same show. We talked about MLOps. Uh, the same concept sort of extends into responsible AI, and I do have an upcoming episode on that. So maybe we'll we'll end up discussing some of those aspects with you on that, uh, Steve. I'll, I'll look forward to that as well. Thank you so much for your time, Steve. I think it's been it's been a very engaging conversation. It's been great working alongside you over this over this while, and uh, I think today we've had some good takeaways from this session. Uh, to our listeners, uh, feel free to drop us any questions that you may have on this, and we'll be we'll be glad to engage further. Uh, once again, Steve, thank you for your time, and I really look forward to be in touch with you, Steve, and maybe record you know our next episode sometime next year or so to see where you are further on this journey. So thank you so much.
1: No problem. It's been a pleasure. It's been great talking to you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this conversation. For more such talks, do subscribe to the Infosys Applied AI podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms to know more about what we do in this space to visit infosys.com slash applied ai and if you happen to have any suggestions or if you feel like joining these conversations do feel free to write to us at applied ai at infosys.com thank you for listening